Hello and welcome to the Riverside Church podcast. This week's 10.30 sermon is read by Archie Bryce and Keith Unwin and it's entitled Ruth Chapter 1. Don't get worried by the size of the folder. As one gets older, the print's got to be bigger. So what used to take one page now takes about 12, so I'll be all right. But uh, Andy, can I thank you for the worship this morning? When you see a big man getting emotional, emotional, it really touches the heart. And folks, if we can't be emotional about Jesus, if we can't be emotional about the cross, what on earth can we be emotional about? This morning, I promise to speak slowly so the accent won't get in the way of what I'm trying to say. And to encourage me, I was even given a Tunnock's Carmel waiver. And for those who know me, they know I'm a bit obsessed. Six million of these are made every week and sold every week. So if you've never had a Tunnock's Carmel waiver, they're inspirational. I can see my house group laughing. But this morning, I would like to talk, Keith and I would like to talk about the Ruth. And if we can turn to our Bibles to Ruth chapter 1 and the first five verses. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malian and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Wow, what a start to have. The book of Ruth is about ordinary people in the hands of an extraordinary God. This story takes place when the Israelites are living in the promised land and there is a great famine. Instead of heeding the warnings of God, God gave through Moses and Joshua, the people rebelled against God's rule. Judges 21 says, in those days, everyone did as they saw fit. Isn't that just a bit like today, really? The book of Ruth takes our gaze off the heroes. There's no Samson, there's no Gideon, no amazing story of Rahab. Instead, God focuses on a woman called Naomi. We are are given a glimpse of her family life and we witness God's providence and faithfulness. The story is encouraging for God is still preoccupied with people like Naomi. God sets his love and affection on unlikely people. Quite surprisingly, he chooses to work his eternal purposes in the lives of ordinary people. And that includes you and includes me. Are you a decisive person? When you don't know the outcome, how can we be sure we are making the right decision? Now try to imagine Elimelech and his wife Naomi, they're lying in bed chatting away. What are they talking about? Well, they'll be talking about, of course, the the famine. They'll be talking about how are we going to feed our two sons, never mind ourselves. What do you think? Elimelech says, what do you think God we should do? 
What do you think God wants us to do is his wife's reply. He says God wants us to use our brains. He wants us to think for ourselves. And she says, shouldn't we trust God to direct our paths? With that, he turns, turns over and falls asleep. The next morning, he announces to his family that they are leaving and relocating to Moab. Now, Moab is the name of an ancient kingdom east of the Dead Sea that today is located in the modern state of Jordan. But it is understandable because Elimelech wants to provide for his family. And they're leaving and, and going away. His family live in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. But there is no bread. Elimelech's own name means my God is king. He knows that God's people are to be in God's presence, to be in God's rule and receive God's blessing. He also knows that the people of Moab are on a list of those with whom the people of God should not associate with, yet he still goes. All of us, if we are honest, have made decisions and then thought, maybe if I had that chance to do it again, I would do it differently. Whatever poor choices we have made in the past, God is still in control. Moving forward, resist the urge to do whatever seems right to you. If you have decisions to make, bring them to God. Bring them before God. Pray. Ask for wisdom. Listen to God speaking through his word. Ask the advice of a mature believer who knows you well. Verse 2 is full of names. Elimelech, as I've said, my God is king. He is an Ephrathite. Ephrathah was an area around Bethlehem. Ephrathites were an important clan, probably one of the wealthier families, so everyone would notice what the family did. Naomi means lovely, delightful. Now that's really significant because of the bitterness she will experience through losing her husband and sons. The boys were called Malon and Kilion, meaning sickly and pining gives a bit of a clue to what they were actually like. And many was named after someone. Now, my name is Archie. Archie's quite popular today, but in my day, it was Archibald. I was named after my father, Archibald Bryce. And uh, it makes you think, was he quite prophetic, really, prophesying that I might be kind of struggling with the hair on the top of my head? Follically challenged is the word probably to put. God's name also has special significance. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. No one is like you, Lord. You're great and your name is mighty in power. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Our response shall be, should be, I will exalt you, my God and my King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Moab is full of tragedy. In the 10 years they stayed in Moab, Naomi's husband died. Her sons marry Moabite women. And later her two sons die. Naomi is distraught. She is a lonely widow living as a stranger 
in a male-dominated foreign land with no husband or sons to protect her. So much is going on in Israel's history, yet God focuses on a sad and lonely lady. This is the only book in the Bible devoted to the domestic story of a woman. It shows the faithfulness, compassion, and empathy of God for the people who feel themselves to be last, lost, and left out. God is sovereign over the affairs of state, international politics, and the weather systems, yet he cares intimately and always for you. You may feel bereft like Naomi, with no silver lining to your circumstances, but God's hand is upon you. Psalm 109 says this, 139, first few verses says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. News reaches Naomi in Moab that God has come to the aid of his people. He has provided food. God is the provider of everything we have. Make sure that as Christians, we don't get to the point where saying grace or giving thanks is just routine or not at all. Let's, be, let's practice being thankful for his care and provision in the small as well as the big things in our life. Now picture the scene of three women. Picture the scene of three widows as they leave Moab, Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Ruth, friend or companion, which means friend or companion, and Orpah. They're heading to Bethlehem. The raw emotion of the scene, wrapped in each other's arms, weeping together, Naomi pleading with them to go back to Moab, and they clinging to her. Naomi kisses her daughters-in-law and asks the Lord to show them kindness. She is commending them ultimately into the care of God. What else can we do for our children and those near and dear to us? Life is full of tearful goodbyes. A boyfriend or girlfriend moving to a different area for work or study. Children growing up and leaving home. Loved ones dying. Goodbyes of the temporary and more important kind are part and parcel of real life. When we are apart from friends and family, there is often little we can do to help them in their daily lives. The best thing we can do is to pray for them and the love of God to surround them and his faithfulness to sustain them. Is your life in the light or the shadows? If you are crying out in bitter complaint to God, know that you're not alone. Believers like Naomi, the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah, David in the Psalms, even Jesus in Gethsemane, cried out to God. Hold firmly to the faith, trusting our God who is too wise to make mistakes and too kind to be cruel. In verse 14, we read that Orpah 
kiss Naomi goodbye. Was Orpah's faith borrowed? Or was she going back to Moab as Naomi urged her to do? To live under the shadow of God's protection. What impact had Naomi made in Orpah's life? I don't know. You will never know the impact your life has had on people on the Alpha course, on the Discovery course, your unbelieving family and friends, the prodigal who had wandered from the faith, the mama at the school gate, the colleague at work, the next door neighbor. Imagine there could be people in heaven because you spoke to them about Jesus. Let me say that again. Imagine there could be people in heaven because you spoke to them about Jesus. Pray that our lives will be like a signpost pointing other people to Christ. Verse 16 is really Ruth's confession. She replies to Naomi, don't urge me to leave, to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Ruth's confession of loyalty and love comes not only because of Naomi herself, but also on account of Naomi's God. The first chapter is almost finished. The initial six has dwindled to two, mother and daughter-in-law. They make their way to Bethlehem. Often in village life, everyone knows what is happening. As they enter the village, some of the women are looking on, other women are looking on, and they're nudging each other. Who's this coming? Can you just imagine it? Who's this coming? God's life's not been kind. She's looking a lot older. Oh, and she's lost some weight as well. Didn't Naomi have two boys? Where are they? Who's that girl? Come on, let's go and ask her. You can just picture that scene. Have you noticed many TV programs end in a bit of a cliffhanger? And chapter one of Ruth ends a bit like that. And there's a song, secular song, that makes you think, what's going to happen next? And it's like this. Da, 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 da. Da, 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 in the fields of barley. Ruth and Naomi enter Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Signs of life and hope are appearing and Bethlehem is living up to its name, the house of bread. What does the future hold for these two ladies? My friend Keith is now going to tell us. Keith. Well, it's uh, really good to be here. It's a real privilege. Uh, it's hard to follow a Scotsman. Uh, I did offer to be an interpreter for Archie, but he assured me he was fine. He spoke slowly and even sings, so that's really great, Archie. I uh, enjoyed that. Um, I'm a, an ex-English teacher, an RE teacher, and I see the, the story slightly differently. Uh, if you've ever read Thomas Hardy... 
Uh, I used to teach some of the Tommy Tarly novels. This story of Ruth, it's only four chapters. It's one of the smallest uh, stories in the Old Testament. It's like a Thomas Hardy novel. It's a very rural setting with tragic happenings. A hero or heroine in this case, a good person. And there's romance. Okay, I'm, as a man, I'm very scared of romance, not really good at it. I asked my wife on Valentine's Day, but I'm not good at that sort of thing. But Thomas Hardy would have a, a sad ending. Things would, would end badly. I did Test of the D'Urbervilles for A-Level. It was really, really depressing stuff, but very, very good writer, I have to say. I admit, very, very good. But Ruth has a happy ending. And I like that. And if you've not read the book of Ruth for a while, I really recommend it. And thank you, Archie, for a really brilliant introduction to, to the book. It's a brilliant, brilliant uh, book. I've got three main, well, three, four main points, really. I like to do things in points. That's why I grew up with a sort of, you know, sweet peas and all the teas. And I've got four L's today. Four L's. So get ready for four L's. The first one, Naomi's loss. And Archie's brilliantly told the story. And your heart goes out to a woman who is a Jewess, who goes to a foreign land, who loses her husband, who loses her sons, who comes back with one of the daughter-in-laws, a Moabite. Um, and she's come back, you know, obviously they've been hungry and it's been a difficult life. It's been a hard situation. It's Naomi's loss the L word, three women lose their husbands, etc. And she had become, it says in the Bible, I'm not going to read scripture now because of time, but uh, she was bitter. She said, don't call me Naomi, pleasantness, loveliness, call me Naomi. Um, uh, Mara, I'm bitter. And you know, some years ago, 40 plus years ago, for various reasons I won't get into, but I was a very bitter person. I was a Christian. It's okay, and you can be a Christian, and you can be bitter. I can remember one person saying to me, you know, Keith, you've got to get this sorted. And I would say, I was praying, you know, a couple of days ago, and thought, well, shall I say it? Shall I? And I think I will. That if we are bitter, resentment or anger, and we've got, you know, counsellors here, and we've got, you know, listening service now and all sorts, but we need to get it sorted. I carried that bitterness for a long time, and it could easily destroy uh, me. It didn't, but uh, it could have done. It says in Hebrews 12, verse 15, see to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. A bitter spirit affects not just us, it can affect everyone. And my, my thing, and I'm very happy, and funny enough, I'm counting money uh, after the service, otherwise I'd pray with you or talk to you, but uh, don't worry, I'm not going to run off with that. Uh, I used to work with the Halifax Building Society and I had this very beautiful girl opposite me. We were, uh, you know, counting money, £20,000, and it often occurred... I was a Christian. It occurred to me to do a runner with the girls to some Greece or somewhere before they caught up with me, but, you know, I was a Christian. I couldn't do it, really. And that's, a true, that's a true story. I've got a more beautiful girl now, so I'm quite OK. And that uh, make, makes up for Valentine's Day. Number two, Ruth's loyalty. And, and Archie mentioned the word faithfulness. Faithfulness, you know, is just run through the book of Ruth. She's a faithful woman. She's faithful to Naomi. She sticks with Naomi. She's going to leave her country, her homeland, to live in a foreign country. She wants to be seen as an enemy, an alien in many ways. But she is loyal. 
And Archie, I wish I could sing like Archie, but I'm not going to try. Where you go, I will go. Uh, And she goes back to Bethlehem, the house of bread. Ruth is a widow uh, and a foreigner. The Jews were enemies uh, to the Moabites. And she works for Boaz. Many of you know this very famous story. I wish there was a film about it. I've never seen a film about it. You know, I have to sort of see if we can find one. And it's harvest time. Thank you, Archie. Harvest time. And this is a vulnerable woman working in the fields. You know, she's not protected by anybody. She could easily, there were men around. She could have been attacked and assaulted and everything. But God protects Ruth. God is faithful to Ruth as Ruth is faithful to her mother-in-law and ultimately to God. And Ruth finds favour with Boaz, a distant relative. So Naomi's loss, Ruth's loyalty, and number three, I get embarrassed about this bit, but Boaz, is, Boaz has got me false teeth and it's a bit difficult to say. Um, um, Boaz's love, okay. He is the kinsman redeemer. He is able to redeem Ruth. And there you have, it's brilliant, I recommend it, sort of chapter three and four, a love story played out. Brilliant, you know, he protects her, she finds favour with him, she needs a relative to redeem her, he's a wealthy man, Naomi is obviously saying, you know, sort of get in the right place, put on your lovely gear and do the stuff, as it were, and there's this brilliant bit, I was going to read it, but I won't because of time, but, you know, she lies at the feet of Boaz in the harvest time, and she sort of is basically saying, I'm here, I'm available you know, if, if you want me kind of thing. I mean, you know, and she's very bold, but it actually works. Now, for me, it beats computer dating any time, to be honest with you. I mean, I never did that. I'm not against it. God can do all sorts, but downloading someone from the internet, it's not quite my, my thing, really. But, you know, for some people, I don't want to offend anyone, but I think I, I like the old-fashioned way of doing things, okay? But God has brought Ruth and Boaz together for a purpose. He has a purpose for this union of a Jew and a Moabite, you know, lady. It's really powerful. So we have Naomi's loss, Ruth's loyalty, Boaz's love, and then the royal king's line, the royal line of the king. God chose Ruth, a Gentile, to be part of the royal line. Now you've got Rahab and you've got all sorts of the Tamar and, you know, unlikely people. And you often, if you do the Bible in the year, I do the Bible in the year with Nicky Gumbel. Okay, so an app on my phone. He's not quite there, but he's an app on my phone. Lovely voice. And you get these genealogies. You want to sort of fast forward it. You know what I mean? It seems fairly boring, just sort of people's names in the Bible. But if my name were in the Bible, I'd want to read it. I'd be pleased. Okay, but here we go. So Boaz, it's a bit complicated, stay with me. Boaz is a direct descendant of Judah, who was one of Jacob's sons and the brother of Joseph. Boaz then becomes the father of Obed. Okay, so um, Obed is Ruth and Boaz is a son. Mother was Ruth. Obed is the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. Okay, so wow, they're in the royal line. Of course, King David is in the line of Jesus Christ, the royal line. And we're in that line too. If we're a Christian, we're part of the royal line. I think it's fantastic. So I never miss the genealogies. I always like to read them. So we've got Boaz, we've got Ruth, we've got Obed. They're ancestors of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And my theme today, and the sort of time that I have, is that God is a faithful God. God is faithful, and he is faithful to you, and he's faithful to me. And if you think of Naomi, she went through that difficult time. She was, um, you know, lost, terrible loss, her husband and sons, and left with, with uh, Moabite, um, what do you call it, daughter-in-laws. It must have been horrendous. But gradually God sorts it out for both Naomi and for Ruth. And the picture at the end, and wow, it really gets to me, is that in chapter 4, Naomi is holding Obed, her grandson. And this is the future. This is the royal line. This is the future. And it's, a, oh, it's such a picture. The bitterness is past. The bitterness is past. I know for me, when I realised I got sort of sorted and released from it, the freedom that you walk into, a spacious place of freedom, but we've got to get past the anger, the bitterness, the resentment. As a young man, I was like that. Okay, God is faithful. In the storms of life, you know, we've got three children in London and London's a bad reputation, all sorts of stuff, and we pray that God would take them out or protect them, but somehow... If we do that, they don't grow, they don't mature, they don't uh, develop character. We need to go through troubles, and Jesus doesn't sort of take us out of those troubles. He's there with us in those troubles, in that situation. He was there in the storm, in the boat. One of my favourite stories last year, you know, we've got Robin and Sue with us, and that, that's a brilliant trip. We were on that lake, and you think of the storm. Jesus was in the boat Jesus was in the storm. Jesus was with the disciples. He is with us now. He is faithful. And I can honestly say from my own experience, if I had two hours, I'd tell you, but I haven't. God is a faithful God. I'd just like to pray um, to give you hope, as Jeff Lucas says, because I've about done. Let's just pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the story of Ruth. I thank you, Lord, for the powerful story of reconciliation, of redemption, of loyalty, of bitterness being passed and there to come through a spacious place of freedom. I thank you for Naomi and for Ruth and for Baz and all those people who are in the ancestral line leading right to David and to Jesus Christ. I pray for every person here that we will be and live in a spacious place of freedom this morning because you are faithful. Amen. Thank you, everyone.